Good afternoon. It's good to be here again before you. Before we begin, let us pray again. We do appreciate the sister's prayer. And this afternoon, we're going to look at a message entitled, Seeking the Best for Myself. Seeking the Best for Myself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, as we are here before you at this moment in Earth's history, we need to really experience your presence in our hearts. Give us relief from any stress we may be having. Give us clarity of mind and thought and help us, Lord, to rivet our attention upon the very words you want us to hear this evening. And Lord, once again, hide me behind the cross of Calvary. And I pray that your spirit may help me to lift up Jesus so that as Jesus is experienced and as he's lifted up, we may be all drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to share with you this morning, this afternoon rather, I believe a very profound thought. The generation that we live in today has become hijacked, if I can use that word, uh, by technology and media. And I want to share with you a story, it's a true story, of a young lady that I met, that I've known for years, And the story goes like this. One day, her parents called her home, and they were trying to get a hold of her, and they could not. And they tried for about a day or two, but she didn't report to work, and they became very concerned. And so they made the decision to go to her apartment. That would make sense, right? No one had seen her. She had not arrived to work. And... Uh, Something supernatural took place, and it was this. And when I see you say supernatural, I don't mean supernatural in the sense of with God, but with the devil. And I'll use those words because that's what it was. They found her laying by her computer open, and she was uh, laying on her side, and she just was repeating the words, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Facebook. And she had what happened was she had a mental collapse. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And they had to rush her to the hospital, and she spent some time in the psych ward. Did you just hear what I just said? Do you hear what technology did to her? When she came to, she said that she was on Facebook, and she was posting, and she was uh, engaging in conversation with different people, and she said something happened, and she became, you know, uh, fixated on the media. And she said she posted something, and no one liked it. And she was waiting, and she said something happened. I became very depressed, waiting for someone to at least to respond to my post. And she said then my mind started to fade away. And she said these words. She says after that I don't know what happened. Facebook. Don't get me wrong, I believe that media can be used and technology can be used for good. Right now, we're we're using technology, aren't we? 
But we have to be very, very careful with the technology that is, that is used today and how much time we're spending on. The internet and our smartphones. We live in a world of distractions. Recently, I read three books, and I'm going to show them in a moment. There's one by Dr. Daniel Amen. Uh, he writes a book called The End of Mental Illness. Uh, there's a book <clears throat> written by Dr. Lustig. He's an endocrinologist entitled The Hacking of the American Mind. Isn't that something? And then Dr. Neil Nedley, many of you know him. He writes the book The Lost Art of Thinking. In the book The Hacking of the American Mind, Dr. Lustig talks about, and remember this is a, he's a medical doctor, he's an endocrinologist, and he shares how there is an intentional attack on the human mind. Are you following me? And he says it is through technology and the, and the processed foods that they, that they are producing. And he said, this is intentional. And he said, it's, the intention is to take over the human mind. Listen to what some of these men say in their book. They says, in the United States, almost half of adults, 46.4%, will experience a mental illness during their lifetime. 5% of adults will experience a mental illness in any one year, equivalent to 43.8 million people. And today, don't we see mental illness on the rise and suicide on the rise? It is is because, it is a direct result of the abuse and overuse of technology. Of adults in the United States with any mental disorder in any one year, period, 14.4% have one disorder, 5.8% have two disorders, and 6% have three or more. Half of all mental disorders begin by age 14 and three-quarters by the age of 24. There's an attack on the human mind, but also there's an attack on the mind of our youth and our young adults. In the United States, only 41% of the people who had a mental disorder in the past year received professional health care or other services. These statistics are alarming, and they should be concerning us here right now and those that are listening to us. And the youth, the young adults that's listening, the devil's after your mind. He's after my mind. Because whoever has our mind controls our life. Jesus put it this way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The devil knows that too, doesn't he? So he wants to absorb, he wants to capture our minds. Dr. Lustig goes on to say in his book, a mind that is attempting to focus on too many things. Focus is difficult at best, too much input as the mind seeks to discover what is best to pay attention to. Are you following this? When there's too much input in the human mind, the mind is trying to figure out, now what do I pay attention to? What do I focus on? And now watch what Dr. Lustig says. He says, notification from our phones are training our brains to be in a near constant state of stress and fear by establishing a a stress-fear memory pathway. Are you following me? So every time, you know, like I have my phone and I'm laying down or, you know, like I'm somewhere and I'm here, ding, 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 ding. It is creating what? A stress-fear pathway in my mind. Now think about that. Remember the young lady? She was waiting for what? A response, a response, a response, response, stress, fear, stress, fear. And she went into a state of panic. 
and she lost her mind. And when the parents arrived, all they heard the words being repeated, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Are you following me? He goes on to say, and such a state means that the prefrontal cortex, you know the prefrontal cortex, is responsible for the executive function of our lives. You know, as goes our prefrontal cortex, goes our morality. Did you know that? Our prefrontal cortex determines how we think, what we think about, how we move, how we live. And it determines if I will be moral or immoral. This is what he says. The part of our brain that normally deals with with some of our highest order of cognitive function goes completely haywire. Facebook. 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 And basically, what does it do, he says? He says, this 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 is a medical doctor talking, endocrinologist. He said, basically, it shuts down. The results is people doing things that they would not normally do that get them in a lot of trouble. Have you ever tried to do this before? Back in 2009, I was in a car accident. And if, you know, I should have showed you the car. I didn't think of that. I had a Nissan Quest. I was driving on the highway. And I got distracted for about five seconds. I was driving, and I saw a set of new buildings that they had put up in that area of the highway. I said, wow, look at that. And I turned, and guess what was in front of me? A car. Later, I was to find they were driving five miles per hour on the highway. That was a slight distraction. And I'll tell you how the story went. I was driving, looked, I went like this. I slowed down. I put on my blinker real quick to get onto the passing lane. Cars were passing me, and they beeped the horn like, you're not getting on this side of the road. And I braced myself for impact, and as I did, something grabbed a hold of me. Are you listening? And said, everything's going to be all right. My car was totaled. The ambulance came. I was walking around the van, and the EMT said, who was in that vehicle? Who was in that vehicle? And I said, I was. She said, no, there's no way you were in that vehicle. I said, yes, I was in that vehicle. She said, no, 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 no. She said, do you see the windshield? Someone's head or arm hit hit the windshield. It busted it out. I said, ma'am, it wasn't me. And so as she looked at me, she said, no, 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 you don't realize you've been injured. I said, man, I'm fine. And I said, uh, and so I gave her my social security number, where I live. She said, no, no, no. And so she flipped me over onto the stretcher. Her partner said, no, no, you can't do that to him because that's that's doing that against his will. And she said, no, no, he's injured. He doesn't realize it. She strolled me onto the ambulance. Are you following me? Put me in the ambulance and said, 
we're going to have to contact somebody who knows you so they can look at you and say, yes, he's okay. And she said, you don't realize your head has been injured. And so I thought, really? So they call my, I called my wife and I said, honey, you know, just, just, just so you know, I'm okay. But they're telling me that you have to come look at me and tell them that it's me, that I'm fine. So she comes, she arrives, the lady gives her a warning at the door, okay, you know, at the ambulance door, she goes, listen, just so you know, and so I'm like, what is she doing? My wife looks at me, I stand up, and she says, look at his head, is he okay? And my wife said, his head, his head always looks like that. <laughs> she said, his head is that big. Some of you are laughing. Is that true? They have a big head? Okay. She said, his head is perfectly fine. She actually thought that my head was swollen. The thing is this. When I went to the vehicle that was totaled, this is what happens. I arrive, you know, the place, you 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 know, the tow wrecker, you know, the guy who... And he says, come here. He says, you in this car? And I said, yeah. He said, sit in the car. So I sit in the car. And he, and he says, look, look over the dash. And he goes, it's as if nothing happened, happened to this vehicle. He said, I've never seen anything like it. He goes, how fast are you going? I said, I'll go 55. Got down, maybe 45. He goes, let me show you something else. He takes me under the car. He goes, the, he, he, he says, the frame is not even bent. He said, this vehicle looks like the front just crushed. But it didn't come in, it didn't bend or anything. He said, I'm showing you this because this is an impossibility going that fast. The angel of the Lord encamps around those that what? Fear him. And he will deliver them. I'm alive today by the grace of God. God is good, isn't he? Yes, the distractions have become too much in this age. And it's paralyzing the minds of men and women, youth, young adults, and children. All because we are desiring and thirsting for something much more than we should be desiring and thirsting for. God has created us to desire and thirst for him. So why don't we taste and see that the Lord is indeed good? The Bible tells us that likewise as it was also in the, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. Follow the thought. Look at the text. They ate. What else they do? They drank. What else they do? They brought. What else did they do? What else were they doing? They planted. They built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What do you see there in that text? What is happening? 
Huh? Say that again. But there's something more. Let's look at the text. Where's their focus? Ah, somebody said they're eating and drinking, they're buying, they're selling, they're planting, they're building. Did the the Bible say that they were focusing on God? Very interesting. You see, they had an intention deficit disorder for the things of God. Their attention was distracted from the things of the Lord. Now do you see the text? If that was written today, it would say they were gaming and Facebooking. Are you following me? And they were Instagramming. And they were linking in. Doing all that stuff, right, right, right. I mean, right, a contemporary version would be using those words because they would be distracted. And do you know that ADD is on the rise, ADHD, there's, there's all this attention deficit disorder? Because as it was in the days of what? Lock, so it is the same today. The devil is just using a different medium called the media. Once again, like I said, it can be used for, in a beneficial manner. Are you see what I'm saying? But the devil is getting in the middle of all this, and he's grabbing the attention of the human mind. And we have become very distracted from the things of God. But look what happened. Listen to the commentary by Ellen G. White. She says, Lot went out to warn his children. Remember, in the book of Genesis, chapter 19, what we're reading this morning, Lot was told by the angel to get out of the city, right or wrong. And then he is told by the angel, listen, if you have anyone else that you know to get out, Get them what? Out. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to that chapter. Genesis 19, verse 7. Excuse me, verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you, one, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and, whoever, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. That is God's mercy. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke with his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up and get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city but to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be what? 
joking. They said, Dad, you are a joke. Did I make that up? They said, really? When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Least you be destroyed, consumed, least you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, what did Lot do? He lingered, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow. The men took hold of his hand, his wife's hands, and the hands of his daughter. The Lord being what? Merciful. Lot didn't want to go at first, did he? The Lord was what? The Lord was merciful. Merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside of the city. And the verse 17 says, they said to him, escape for your life. Do not look back. Are you following As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. The book of Matthew and the book of Luke make this commentary. One will be on the housetop. Right? One will be out in the field. And I'm going to insert David Guerrero's translation, but it doesn't, but it doesn't do anything to the text. And don't look back. That's what the text says, doesn't it? It says, don't go back into the house. Don't, don't look back. Don't look back. Now watch what happens here. This is the commentary. Lot went out to warn his children. He repeated the words of the angel. Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed to them as one that mocked. They laughed at what they called his superstitious fears. His daughters was influenced by their husbands. They were well enough off where they were. They could see no evidence of danger. Everything was just as it had been. They had great possessions and they could not believe it possible that beautiful Sodom would be destroyed. Lot returned sorrowfully to his home. He told the story of his failure to his wife and his daughters. He said, they're not going to come with us. In the book, The Church of Babylon, page 261, 261, the author there, Dr. Lutzer, says this, we have too much noise and not enough quietness. Too many videos and emails, too much television, internet, media attractions. Let us regularly turn off the noise to contemplate God in private worship and scriptural meditation, and may I say, and memorization. Listen to what Mrs. White says. She goes on to say, then the angels bade him arise and take his wife and the two daughters who were yet in the house and leave the city. But Lot delayed. Though daily distressed at beholding deeds of violence, he had no true conception of the debasing and abominable iniquity practiced in the vile city. He did not realize the terrible necessity for God's judgments to put a check on sin. Some of his children clung to Sodom and his wife refused to depart with them. The thought of leaving those whom he held dearest on earth seemed more than he could bear. She goes on to say, it was hard to forsake his luxurious home and all the wealth that he acquired. 
by the labors of his whole life. To go forth a destitute wanderer, stupefied with sorrow, he lingered loath to depart. But for the angels of God, they would have all perished in the ruin of Sodom. You know, it's going to be but for the mercy and grace of God and his angels that you and I are not going to perish in this old world. The heavenly messengers took him and his wife and daughter by the hand and led them out of the city. You see what happened to his children living in the wicked city in the midst of unbelief. His faith had grown dim. Get out of the city. Get out of the city. Get out of the city. And yet in our church today, many are mocking those that want to get out of the city. And just like Lot, many of our children are going to be lost because we're living too long in the city. By beholding, we become what? Changed. Lot's faith had grown dim because he lived where? In the city. And he lost his children. Why? Because he lingered. And he stayed where? In the city. I'm not mocking anyone that lives in the city. I'm just saying that if the Lord is impressing you to go, you better go before it's too late. And tomorrow I'm going to share with you how God had to work on my heart to move where I moved on our 22 acres. Because, and I'm not proud to say this, because Mr. Lot was trying to negotiate with God to stay in a small city. And when the gentleman offered me what I was asking, the asking price of my house, and I, had to, and I looked at him, and I'll tell you the story tomorrow, and I said, well, I just need to keep praying about this. My wife actually kicked me from the table. Boom. <laughs> and then she looked at me. She said, what are you doing? I said, I need time to pray. She said, no, no, I know you. You're trying to stall. Where did this all begin with Lot? Isn't that a good question? Where did it all begin? How did he get this way? Did it just happen because he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah? Did it, did it happen there? Nah. This happened over a lifetime. Turn with me, if you want to, to Genesis chapter 13. The Bible says there that... As, as you read Genesis you know, 11 and 12 and you go to 13, Abraham was called by God to leave his father's house. He said, I'm going to bring you to a land of promise. The Bible says that Abraham brought his family, excuse me, his herd and his cattle. And he also brought with him Sarah and he brought with him his nephew Lot. And as they were living together and their families were growing, the Bible says that, you know, both of them, what was happening was, was that they were both prospering and, 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 excuse me, their cattle was growing. The Bible says this, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwell in the land. So there comes strife between them. Why? Because they're they're, they're, they're both starting to expand in their territory. Are, do you see that in the text there? 
All right. And so Abraham, being a gentleman, says, you know what? You choose whatever property or land that you want. And if you go west, I'll go east. You go north, I'll go south. And I'll just go in the opposite direction. Watch what happens here. And Lot lifts up his eyes and he beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Watch what happens. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves one from the other. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pinched his tent towards what? Where? Lot said, I'm going to get the best for myself, didn't he? Right? He looked around and he said, I'm going to take the best for me. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever fought over a church position? I want to be the head elder. I want to be this. I want to be that. Hope not. You ever fought for that position in life, that job, or, or you coveted, or you coveted uh, that vehicle or someone else's property and you wanted to prosper like them? Or did you want to get over on someone and said, I'm going to get the best for who? For me. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now watch this. Listen, look at the commentary in the book, Page and the Prophets. Although Lot owed his prosperity to his connection with Abraham, he offered no gratitude to his benefactor. Courtesy would have dictated that he yield the choice to who? But instead of his but instead of this, he selfishly endeavored to grasp all its advantages. Do you see that there? He was seeking the best for himself. He who seeks to save his life will what? And his, and his selfishness led him to lose his wife and his children. Listen to what she goes on to say. He lifted up his eyes and behold, all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Even as the green garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor, the most fertile region in all Palestine was the Jordan Valley, reminding the beholders of the Lord's paradise and equaling the beauty and productiveness of the Nile and rich plains they had so lately left. There were cities also wealthy and beautiful, inviting to profitable traffic in their crowded marts, dazzled with visions of worldly gain. Lot overlooked the moral and spiritual evils that would be encountered there. The inhabitants of the plain were sinners before the Lord exceedingly, but of this he was ignorant or knowing, gave it but little weight. He chose him all the plain of Jordan and pitched his tent towards Sodom. How little did he foresee the terrible result of what? His 
selfish choice. You see, there was a difference between Abraham and Lot. Abraham was a very courteous, humble man. And Lot was very discourteous, selfish individual. Look at the difference between Lot and Abraham. And he, that is Abraham, removed from thence unto a mountain of the east of Bethel and pitched him, pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Do you see Abraham's behavior? Wherever Abraham went, he erected a what? And he spent time in prayer with who? With the Lord, seeking the Lord for what? For direction in all things in his life. Next text says, Genesis 13, 4. Unto unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. You see, everywhere Abraham goes, what does he do? He is calling and calling and calling and calling on the name of the Lord. I'll read to you again, Genesis 13, 18. Then Abraham moved, removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there what? An altar unto the Lord. Everywhere Abraham goes, he erects an altar unto who? Unto the Lord. And he's praying, and he's pleading with God, and he's asking God for wisdom, understanding, and direction. Listen to what Mrs. White says concerning this matter. The children of God of the world over are one family and the same spirit of love and conciliation should govern them. Be kindly affectionate, affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another is the teaching of our Savior. The cultivation of uniform courtesy, a willingness to do to others as we would wish them to do to us would annihilate half the ills of life. The spirit of self-aggrandizement is the spirit of Satan. But the heart in which the love of Christ is cherished will possess the charities which seeketh not her own. Such will heed the divine injunction. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of who? On others. You know, I have a daughter. And her name is Hannah. Honor Renee Guerrero. A lot of people say that she looks like me. Do you think that's true? Yeah. Yeah, you do? That's good. I must be pretty. (laughs) Because I think my daughter's pretty. And man, it would hurt my heart if my daughter was lost because of my selfish choices. It would hurt me dearly. Because of the choices and decisions that I'm making in life, my daughter will refuse to want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would it be the same with you? Your children rejected the Lord because of your selfish behavior. As it was in the days of Lot, the Bible said, so shall it be. It's a warning to us, isn't it? The coming of the Son of Man. 
Bible says, every act of life, however small, has its bearing for good or for evil. Everything we do, every act of life. He say some acts of life. Every act of life has a bearing for what? Good or for evil. Listen to what she all goes on to say. Faithfulness or neglect in what are apparently the smallest duties may be open may open the door for life's richest blessings or its greatest calamities. It is little things that test the character. It is the unpretending acts of daily self-denial performed with a cheerful, willing heart that God smiles upon. We are not to live for self, but for others. And it is only by self-forgetfulness, by cherishing a loving, helpful spirit that we can make our life a blessing. The little attentions, the small, simple courtesies go far to make up the sum of life's happiness and the neglect of these constitutes no small share of human wretchedness. I'm going to read something to you. The book of Philippians. Chapter 4. Verse 4 and 5. I have the New King James Version, and many of you may have the King James Version, and I, and I, and I will quote it from the King James because I have it in my mind. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. And then it says, let your, if you have the King James Version, it will say, let your moderation be made known unto all, right? All men, because what? The Lord is at hand. This is a text that's talking about the last days, right? The Lord is at hand. If you have the New King James Version, what it says, it says this. And the Greek word actually means both, okay? The New King James Version says, let your gentleness be made known unto men, because the Lord is at hand. Because that Greek word means, you know, moderation means to be, to, to, to restrain. That Greek word means to restrain yourself. But to do so in a way that is kind and courteous. Don't do it begrudgingly. Be kind about it. And in the time in which we're living, in the last days, the Bible is saying that we should learn by God's grace, his power, his strength, his spirit, to be what type of people? Gentle. The fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness. Kindness. I'll share a story with you. And then I'll close. From all the evidence we see, we see that Lot had developed a spirit of self-centeredness, didn't he? And selfishness. And I'll show you in a minute 
that, that there was one thing that saved his life. And I'll show you the quote from the Spirit of Prophecy. Ellen White says, the thing that saved his life was courtesy. Hmm? And when the angels came, Lot was what? He was courteous. He said, brethren, 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 come and stay with, with me. It saved his life. It saved his life. You see what courtesy can do? <laughs> About three years ago, it's been, it's been two years ago, every year our ministry we have a men's retreat. So we're on a men's retreat. What type of retreat would I say? Okay, everybody's still listening. And that afternoon, one afternoon during the men's retreat, we all went on a hike. And then we were going to go out onto the lake and spend some time on the lake in the water. So we all began to go on some boats and canoes, kayaks. Are you following me? And so it was kind of cold, and I decided not to go. My son Joshua decided not to go. And my friend, Dr. Tim Kronick, decided not to go. And so we stayed on shore, and we're talking while the rest of the men went out with their sons out for an afternoon on the lake. Two young men passed us. We didn't know them. And they began to take a raft, excuse me, a, a, a canoe out onto the lake. It was the grace of God that Dr. Tim looked over and said, hey, 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 young, young men, young men, young men. They said, what? They said, he said, in order to go on that lake, everybody says, can you read the sign? You've got to put on your life jackets. And they said, oh, okay. And the two young men, they put on their life jackets, and they go out on their canoe, right? And they go on their raft, and that canoe, and they're going out to the water. We turn, and we begin to talk, and we're kind of joking and laughing and talking, and we hear faintly, way out in the water, help, help, help. And we look, and it's way out, and we see that the whole thing had capsized, and now this was, in, it, it, it was late in the fall, so it was very cold water. Are you following me? And that's one thing Tim had told me. He said, you've got to be careful because you get in that water, you're going to freeze very quickly. Follow the story. As they look, Dr. Tim and my son instantly grab their boat and they start going out into the water. And I stop and I tell my son, Josh, Josh. He looks at me and I say, listen, whatever you do, if you get out there and they're panicking, don't try to pull anybody up because they will pull you over. And he's rowing out. And he's like, okay, dad, okay, dad. And I said, did you hear what I said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As they're going out, you can see them kind of surround the young man. They're trying to go around and tell him, calm down. Hey, you guys, calm down. You got, because they have life jackets on. And, and, and you can see them talking to them, and they finally get close, and they say, oh, calm down. They pull one. 
April 2. As that's all happening, a lady comes out of a cabin and she says, you know, where are my sons? Are, are, are those my sons? And I said, I don't know because I don't know them. And her daughter comes out and says, no, that can't be them because we told them to stay out of the water because it's too cold. And so, no, that's not them. And so she's looking and she's wondering. And finally, Dr. Tim and my son, my son is there in the front, arrive and guess what? That's her son. And she begins, she begins to cry because she realizes that things could have turned out differently. Are you following me? And her son grabs and says, Mom, I'm okay. I'm okay. What would have happened had that we had not seen those young men and told them, put on your... But I think you missed something in the picture, which brings tears to my eyes. Go back a second. Who didn't have a life jacket on? My son. We get to shore. I said, Josh, what were you thinking? I, I wasn't scolding him. I said, Josh, what you did was a heroic act. I said, what went through your mind as you jumped on that boat and you went after those guys? He said, Dad, all I thought was this. There's just no, no other way. There was just no other way but to get on that boat. And save those young men. I said, you weren't fearful, weren't scared. I said, you, he said, no, he said, I was praying as I was rowing. I said, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, help me. And Jesus became this life jacket. He who seeks, he who seeks to save his life, but he who what? For my sake, you will save it. I hope you're getting it. Listen to what she says. It is the unpretending acts of daily self-sacrifice, daily safe denial, performed with a cheerful, willing heart that God smiles upon. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.